Amen. We're going to jump in. We're in a, a series being the season of love. We're going to be looking at perfect love. And I want to say this as we jump into this. I, I, I'm asking for God to really grace our time today so that we can have understanding as we look into the Word of the Lord because so often we, we approach um, God and, and the things of the kingdom through the lens of what we can bring to the table. And we don't understand actually very well, and I'm learning, I'm growing in this, the, the workings of His grace, which is, let me define that, it's enablement from another realm. It's an enablement, empowerment in our lives from another realm that gives us um, the ability to do the things that we could never do on our own. All right, so as we look at this perfect love, this whole concept of perfect love, it's actually His love working through us, not our love that we're trying to bring to the table. Does that make sense? The same, the same is true of faith. You know, we think so often, man, I wish I just had more faith. And we think that it's our faith that, that moves the mountains. No, it's His faith moving through us. So, Father, would you just grant grace over this time? Would you give us understanding to comprehend this profound, profound reality of the perfect love of God today in Jesus' name? Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend time in 1 John chapter 4, and, and I love, I'm just going to take this portion of Scripture, and we're going to go through a series of verses, but I really need to set context for you before we jump into 1 John chapter 4. So we're actually going to begin today in 1 John chapter 3, starting off in verse 7, because we have to understand this very important fact, all right? Many times, you know, I think where we've kind of, the body of Christ is always maturing, always growing. In fact, the, the, the whole um, mission of God is for us to grow up into full maturity and have full understanding of Jesus and of the love of God. That's why this message is so key this morning. But oftentimes, I think where we're at in our journey, we've garnered the revelation of, man, God loves me just as I am, which is so true and so powerful and so freeing on so many levels, right? That God finds us where we're at and he loves us right where we are. Amen? But the part that we're missing is that he doesn't just want to leave us there. He finds us there, but he doesn't leave us there. He actually, actually, that's only partially good news. The, the, the real good news is that not only does he love us where we are, but he loves us enough that he's going to transform us to look like our son, like his son. In fact, you know, we're not called to have a life of brokenness after we get saved. We're called to live in fullness of life, Right? So we're going to just kind of lay some context here before we get into the portion of Scripture that I really want to focus on. But look at this with me, 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. And I love the way he starts off this verse. He says, dear, dear children, dear children. That's not demeaning. It's actually very, very affirming, very, very, very just endearing in terms of family, you know. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. What is that? He says, when people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Now, this is really important for us to grasp here, this whole 
concept of, of doing what is right. And again, may we see it through the proper lens. The word there, just, means to prove or to show. Do you remember when Jesus, before his ministry began, he was taking and taken and led into the wilderness? This is after 30 years, mind you, of only putting his gaze on what he saw the Father doing and giving his ear attention to what he heard the Father saying. Like Nida was singing about this morning, he, Jesus, was being shaped and molded in the presence of God by watching His Father, by hearing what His Father was saying. He wasn't watching anything else or anybody else. He wasn't listening to anybody else or listening to anything else. And so when it came time for Him to begin His ministry, it says that He was led into where? The wilderness... To be tested, or really the word there is, to be proven by God. Now, oftentimes we think, well, you know, I don't know about you, but you think of like test taking, right? Like tests were incredibly stressful. I remember years after I graduated university, I was so damaged by my time there. Can I get an amen? That I I, I had dreams for a couple of years that I had that class that I never, I, I signed up for, but I forgot to go to. Anybody else have that? It's really weird. And I would wake up, oh no, I'm not going to graduate because I forgot to go to that class, you know. I didn't take the test. Just so fearful of failure. But see, Jesus was actually led into the wilderness not to fail, but actually to prove what he already carried on the inside. Here's the deal. God has already passed the test on your behalf And what you need is already living on the inside of you. God wants to actually prove this to you. And so through process, He'll actually allow us to go into situations, not so that we'll fail, but actually to be awakened on what we actually carry. Now, do we we pass those tests all the time? No, but there's those moments where you're like, oh my God, like, I really do have the love of God living on the inside of me. That's what he's talking about right here. This whole just word, it's, it's where we get the word justify. You remember the, the, the saying that we have in our, in our culture, I shouldn't have to justify myself. I shouldn't have to prove myself to you. You know, we say that often, but see, God actually wants to prove to the world that we actually carry something way bigger than ourselves on the inside. He says in verse 8, when, but when people keep on sinning, that's very key, key right there. And the word sin means missing the mark. When there's volitional, intentional, continual missing of the mark, this is intense. It says, but it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God, you've got to catch this, came to do what? Destroy the works of the enemy. That's why that whole thing that I said at the beginning is so true. He found us and loves us right where he he engaged us, but he doesn't want to leave us there because that's not what Christ paid for on the cross. Those who have been born, verse 9, into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Actually, we make a practice of Perfecting righteousness in our lives. We're practicing being righteous. It's beautiful. Because God's life is in us 
so they cannot keep on sinning because they are children of God. Now, that's really, we think, man, is that really for real? Yes, it is. It's in the Bible. It's all over the New Testament, all right? So he says, verse 10, this is where we can test and know people by the fruit. He said, so now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the adversary, anyone who does not live righteously, and this is where we'll bounce off into where we're going to go today, and does not love. Everybody say that. Does not love. So we're called to love. Other believers does not belong to God. All right, now having established that context quickly, let's move to 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7. First it was dear children, now he's saying dear friends. Isn't that interesting? We're burst into the kingdom as children, but we're called to progress into friendship with each other and with the Lord. Amen? How many of you know when your kids mature in life, And those parents that are out there that have seen some children grow up under your household, it's such a beautiful thing when they move from the space of you having to be the police officer in the home, can I get an amen, and be able to love and enjoy your children as friends. It's such a beautiful thing, such a maturing process. So he's he's, he's given us some insight here. So dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Now, how many of you remember... When you first got saved, you loved everybody. Remember that? Everybody. You were just oozing with the love of God for people, right? Until you came across that person, I know I've probably only me that's experienced this, that was completely unlovable. But he says, let us continue in this space for anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. There's there's a manifestation of this this thing called intimacy, which flows out of identity. We got to know who we are in order to even enter into that space. But when we have this intimacy with the Lord, we love. It's our new nature that we begin to exude from the essence of our lives. Now, here's the important thing. So we don't leave this vague. And Julie says this all the time, and I like it. Love looks like something. Love looks like something. What does it look like? Well, here it is in chapter 4, verse 9. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the concept here. Jesus came right to where we were. And God, and this is just what's on my mind so big just in this season of my life for whatever reason, is I want to find myself in places with other people on this planet in a powerful way right where they are. And I want to see through that engagement in that moment life break out where there may be death that I may not even know or be aware of reigning in that heart. In fact, what would it look like if every single one of us through this engagement of culture, of people, of others in the body and outside of the body, that we just sovereignly through this heart desire 
found ourselves right where people are. And right in the midst of those moments, there was such authority from heaven flowing through us that that transformation just began to break out. I believe this is our portion. In fact, he says in verse 10, this is real love. Real love. Not that we loved God. Here's where I began today. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to, now you've got to catch this because we're going to spend a moment here, to take away our sins. The word there, take away, is the word expiate. Expiate. Which literally means to extinguish guilt. Extinguish guilt. I want to submit to you that one of the biggest issues that has been, is been, and will continue to be dominating over people's hearts, not allowing them to come into the fullness of what God has for them, is guilt, shame, and condemnation. Guilt, shame, and condemnation has never set anybody free. Ever. It actually makes it worse. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the absence of conviction. In fact, it's His love that comes and convicts us. And, and, and there's actually that awe of God. It's like, remember Peter, after blowing it so many times, as Jesus said that He would, the Lord still shows up at that seashore and finds Him right where He's at. And that divine life is flowing out of the Lord. And at the end of that lunch, Peter is expiated. In fact, Jesus, if I was looking at this in the word of the Lord. His name is actually a noun called the expiator. He came to the earth to extinguish guilt, to break that power off of people so that they could come into the fullness of what the Lord had for them. So Peter leaves changed after that lunch. It's powerful. So the vertical experience that we, hopefully, all of us in our journey will have had with God, where our guilt has been extinguished so that we can come into a healthy space and really be transformed, has to translate ultimately horizontally to other people. This is never really this unless it goes this way. Does that make sense? You see, we often think, oh, I have this relationship with God. And, but, but he's like, no, you, you've got to take this horizontal encounter and it's got to translate vertically for the fullness of what I have for you to come to actually to pass. So he says in, in verse 11, I'm just going verse by verse here this morning. He says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Ought literally means to owe. In other words, to be under an obligation. And that's not a heavy. It's like we get to. We don't have to. But we get to be under this obligation to give away what we have received to other people. So receiving, sharing, giving. This is engagement of the world with the power from another realm that comes through divine enablement by His grace. Okay? This is... Now, this is crazy. I don't understand this fully. But there's this whole concept of incarnational ministry that we are actually called to carry. I think it's one of the biggest things that's missing. In other words, 
Jesus came in the flesh to represent the Father. He ascends to heaven, right? But then he promises never to leave us or forsake us. So what does he do? He sends now Holy Spirit, in other words, his presence to live inside of us. So now we can go and represent him in the world or represent him in the world. Crazy. We're not called to be in church. We're called to be the church. We're called to to carry the glory of God and represent him to the rest of the world incarnationally in their spaces, where they are, where they find themselves, where death is reigning. We're supposed to go into those realms and bring fountains of life. In fact, look at this. It, it's just this. The word of God is so, if you just can, it's just so apparent. If you can just, by the grace of God, be able to just have this understanding. He says in verse 12, for no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. In other words, now they have seen God. They've seen God in you. That's what he's trying to say. Full expression means complete, accomplished. It's one of the reasons we say stuff like the accomplished work of Christ on the cross. What happened? What was made complete there? What was accomplished? It's the same word for... Actually, the same word, synonym word is consummated. I was speaking last week to a lot of young people in, in uh, West Palm, and I, I, I don't know if they fully got this, but I was like, what if you got married and never consummated it? Would that be fun? Answer, no! Would that be fullness in marriage? Answer, no! Right? It's the same with the love of God. When He wants the full expression to live on the inside of us for for others to see God in us. So skipping down a few verses to verse 18, here it is, and we were singing about this this morning, amazing. Such love has no fear. Well, isn't it a little bit good? No, it's not. No fear. No fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. Darren, are you saying there's no hell? No. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are ramifications of the fall. But that was never meant for us. Do you understand? The way that the enemy hurts God's kids actually hurts the father is by hurting his kids. And, and so anyhow, that's a whole other teaching for another time. But the point is, is that we're not living this life out of fear of going to hell. In fact, if we've had to catch people with the gospel for that, man, we've, we've, we're holding on to them in, in, in the wrong way that God... It's, it's about relationship. It's about relationship. It's not a ticket to heaven and escape from hell. That's not the good news. The good news is that you are called to carry the image of God on the inside of you and bring this fountain of life to everybody else. Now. It's not reserved for some tomorrow space, right? But I looked at this, this whole fear of punishment thing. It's where we get the word penalized. And you know what that word literally means? It means to be put at a serious 
disadvantage. Punishment wants to put you at a serious disadvantage. It's where we get the, the whole concept of the penal system. Remember in Australia back in the day, there was what was called, a, that was a penal colony where they would send people away. Culturally, I want to just submit this. Our penal system is not really rehabilitating offenders. In actuality, in many cases, it makes them worse after they get out for their time that is being spent there. I'm not saying that 100%, but the way that the penal system is designed. Have you ever been, been and visited someone in jail or in prison? Man, it is the weirdest thing. It's like you can just feel shame. You can feel darkness. You can feel condemnation. It's awful. I walk in there and I just feel ashamed myself. True story. I, this, I wasn't even going to share this, but I remember when I was in when when I was in eighth grade. I think it was eighth grade, maybe seventh grade. I stole a pack of candy from a store. It was stupid. It was dumb. It was really bad. I mean, because I think my friends were stealing it, and I wasn't quite as good as they were, so I got caught. And I had just kind of stuffed it down my pants, and so the guy, you know, they saw me on camera, and they were asking me, where is it? And so I took them on this tour of where I supposedly put the candy, and then finally I just broke down. I'm guilty. I stole. I pull it out. And it was bad, man. It was a bad day. So they... You know, I was, I was like 12 years old, so, I mean, I wasn't probably going to do any hard time for the 89-cent bag of candy. But the point is they wanted to teach me a lesson, and they, and they called uh, a police officer and put me in the back of a squad car and drove me home from the mall, you know. And I remember that day. That was the drive of shame for my life. I mean, and this is, this is in, in all seriousness right here, like, I remember... Feeling under such despair. I, this is scary to think about, but I remember I, I, wanted to, I wanted to take my life. I remember that. I was like, I don't want to. I even told my mom, and it freaked her out. I was like, Mom, I don't want to live anymore. And I remember having to go up to the probation officer. And here I was, this outstanding, supposedly good young man in our community, an athlete and all this stuff. And I'm having to go up to probation. And, and it was just, just the feeling of that experience, you know, was just so horrific. The word also means punitive. It means to inflict pain. Did you know that? Punishment means to inflict pain on you. God's, God's not like that. We inflict pain on ourselves. Really. We, we, we find ourselves guilty. And we inflict our own pain to make ourselves thinking that through that we're going to be able to stand before God in a better way. We don't get the gospel. We don't get what he's done. Darren, are you making an excuse for sin? No, I already read 1 John chapter 3. I'm actually called not to sin anymore. So here's the crazy thing, and I'm going to wrap this up with this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, this is insane, really. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children. So how in the world do we imitate God? Well, it's simply... By receiving what he gave us and then giving away what we've received. Super simple. Like, you know, even as we, we navigate here at the harbor what we call this hybrid model where we gather in times like this for worship, 
but we, we connect in groups, this is where we really engage one another's hearts. And we're believing God that we'll all have receiving hearts. We'll all have friends that we can walk through life and share anything with them. Darren, I don't believe that. Guys, the kingdom of heaven is relational. A hundred percent. If you can't say, man, my heart is open to receive, something's wrong. If you, if you don't have a friend that you could tell anything to, something is not working right. If you're not giving away whatever measure of grace that you have received, we're missing something. This is what the Lord has. It's all about engagement. It's all about God coming right into our midst where we're at. And this is imitating God in everything that we do. It's life-on-life relationship. It's not hiding behind the veil of shame and pain and disillusionment and condemnation. That holds us in a penal system. It holds us in this place of punishment. It holds us all behind lock-celled doors. And so Timothy, we're going to read this and then we're done. He says, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it just caps off everything I've, I've taught on this morning. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and of timidity. Fear of the Lord is the awe of God, the wonder of the Lord. That's true fear. Here he's talking about what I was referring to, this whole punishment reality. But here's what he has given us. But of power, love, and self-discipline. So I want to give you something to take away today because we need something practical to walk out of here. Here's, here's the thing. You've got to say over your hearts, whenever that thing tries to jump on you, God, you have not given me a spirit of fear. I am not going to bow my knee to that. I'm not going to come under that. I'm not going to live in that realm anymore. But what you have given me is a spirit of power. You are powerful. You are so powerful that you are no longer a victim, but you are a victor, and you have the ability to make the right choices. No one in this room should be saying, well, if it wasn't for my upbringing or for this experience or for that experience or for the church that I'm in or for the things that have went down in my life. No, you are powerful. You are not held in bondage by any of those things. None of those things define you. None of the stuff that you've walked through in life has defined you. Now, is that a part of your journey? Yes. Has there been pain afflicted upon you through that? Probably so. But God has come to give you a fountain of life. In fact, you know what? We should be doing like, like, like good, healthy checks over our heart and say, man, is there any realm in my life where death is reigning? And if so, we put our foot down and we say no more because we are powerful. In fact, I want to say something right here. We're not powerful alone because the dunamis word is, is literally out of, out of Matthew, I think, where it says where two or three are gathered in his midst, he is powerfully there among them. We are powerful together. Together. And shame and condemnation, what does it do? It keeps us separated. 
You could be sitting in a church for 20 years and you're not engaging anybody's hearts because you're so locked up in your mind, so locked up in our prison cells of punishment and pain that we never really open up because we go, if I did, that person wouldn't love me as much as I, as I want them to love me. No, God has, has found us right where we are. We better be willing to find other people where they are. And go there and say, God, and, and I'm just think, I just think about this all the time. I'm like, Lord, if there's, give the life of God, the fullness of God in me and in, and in my beautiful team, and may we be filled with dunamis power, and wherever we go, that leaven is overflowing from us, and death has no place wherever we go. I mean, this may sound weird to you, but you know, Wendy and I walk through our neighborhood almost every day. And when I'm walking, I'm like, life, life, life. Wherever my feet are going, I was just walking through houses. I'm just like life over this neighbor and that person and this individual because I live in, in this area right now. And because I live here, no death is allowed here. Love is the second one that he's given us. It's the word agape, which literally means an atmosphere of perfect love. And it literally means no agenda. No agenda. I mean, how agenda-driven are we in our relationships? I want to hang out with so-and-so because they've got money. Or I want to hang out with so-and-so because they're anointed. Or I want to hang out with so-and-so because, you know, I mean, whatever the, the, the reason is. Like, what if we looked at every single person through the lens of perfect love and had no agenda for connecting with somebody. I, th- I think about that all the time. Like connect, are we even hanging out? Like, let's, let's just take it from a pastoral perspective. Am I hanging out with you so that you can become a better person and then all of a sudden, like, do more in the church? Or am I just hanging out with you because I believe that the life of God that's in me is going to spill over and touch you in some powerful way that you'll go on bearing life with no agenda? I tell people all the time, I'm like, I harbor, no harbor. That's one of my big sayings. Harbor, no harbor. Doesn't matter. I love you. I want what's best for you. If it's to be in this community, amen. If it's not, may God put you in the right place. And I'm connecting with you because God has told me to connect with you. Not because I have some agenda to get your tithe money or to get you to volunteer in the Anchor Cafe. Although it's a nice place to work. Can I get an amen? Good coffee back in there. Smiling face and a helping hand goes a long ways. Praise the Lord. The last thing is, is this the whole concept of self-control. Now think about this. I'm probably the only one in the room, but sometimes I can get so frustrated. Trying to love, Right? In fact, in just when I'm really hitting the sweet spot of love, God will allow a person to come my way. Actually be found in my world. But real love, like, for real, like, I'm, I'm like, when I, whenever that thing pops up, I'm like, I have 
the power to restrain here. like to Because it, it literally means to have restraint exercised over one's own impulses or emotions or desires. It's like the disciples early on, you know, it's like, what should we do, Lord? And they're dealing with situations in the church, you know. They're just getting going in ministry. Call down fire from heaven. I mean, that was their first go-to, you know what I mean? Total destruction. (laughs) Have you not given us the power to destroy the world? He's like, you guys don't know what spirit you're operating under here. It's it's meekness, actually. Because when you're when you've matured to a bigger place in a sense with God, like. And you could let someone have it out of that righteous, pious place of what you've attained, actually, not in your own strength, but in this grace. Remember that. And you restrain that. That's meekness. Listen, I'll close with this. There's been so many times in my journey of discipling friends. I remember one, one time I was with this person. I don't know, they decided for whatever reason to like give me all of their knowledge and understanding on marriage and let me have it about what I was doing wrong with Wendy, you know. Initially, I wanted to kill him. Can I get an amen? But I restrained that power in the moment. I said, I'll kill him later, Lord. You know, not now. Too many people around. But I remember the Holy Spirit, like, as clear as he could, he could, he could say to me, he said, I was like, what do I do? I'm, I'm taking a beating here right now by this person. Like, one year in the Lord, not even married himself. You know what I'm saying? Like... And he's giving me marriage advice. And the Holy Spirit, you know what he said? Say nothing. I'm like, please, God, one thing? Just let me say one thing. He's like, nothing. Three months later, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, this person comes back to me crying. Darren, I am so sorry. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, of course you did. You know. (laughs) But the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's why Jesus, when he was saying to his disciples, he's like, listen, in the world, People with authority, with greatness, they lord over other people. It's not the way it's going to be with you guys. You're going to take a basin and you're going to take a towel and you're going to go wash a bunch of people's feet and you're going to find yourself in their spaces and it's going to be ugly and it's going to be messy. It's going to stretch you. Because it's not even about them. When I put you in those realms... I'm going to do stuff on the inside of you and I'm going to teach you what it even looks like to love. This is, this is what God is doing in us. This is what He's teaching us. He's teaching us what love is all about.
And you need to reflect, and I need to reflect. If we could just close our eyes. God, where was I at when you came and found me? Oh, my God. Where were my belief systems? Where was my mindset? What was the fruit of my life in that moment? So afraid. So in despair, just wondering and waiting for you just to smack me off the earth. Knowing my own brokenness, knowing my sin, under shame, under condemnation. You came. And you didn't leave me there, Lord. You engaged me in such a way that I could receive from you. Can you imagine Jesus with all the broken sinners and He never compromised ever and yet they loved being around Him? Do people feel like that with us? No compromise at all. Zero. And yet they love being in our presence. God, You transformed my life. And I just want to say thank You, God. It's been a pleasure journeying with you thus far and I look forward to tomorrow I look forward to next month and next year and 10 years and 20 years from now because I know I'm going to be awakened even more to who I actually am and who you actually are and because of that more lives are going to be changed God give us this city give us our neighborhoods give us our workplaces give us person that's sitting next to us. Come on, some of you are sitting in a place right now and you think there's no hope. And you feel, you know God loves you. But you're like, there's no way I could change. God, I take authority. I, I break that lie. I break that lie, Lord. It's not about what we feel or what we think or what we've known in the past, Lord. It's about the now moment of Holy Spirit and the glory of God that can transform any human heart. We won't bow to relative moralism in our society and by what the world wants to define as right and wrong. God, we want to come before a holy God. An awe-inspired Jesus who came to the world and represented Father perfectly knew no sin, yet became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My God, whose blood and whose water spilled out of His side into a broken earth to bring redemption. What beautiful good news. We love You, Lord. As we close going to have some ministry team members up here. I I really want to submit like we don't understand. I don't understand perfect love. I'm like, God, who are you? But I want to know him more. You know, I really do. And if this has touched you in some way, I want you to come. I want you to take this window, this moment. I want you to come before the king and say, God, I give you my heart today in a new way. Maybe you don't know Jesus in this kind of a way. Maybe you've been living, you know, in relationship with Him out of obligation for what you can give to Him. 
He wants to turn that and give you something otherworldly and make you obligated because you burn with love to give it away to somebody else. If you've got stuff going on in your body, we, we believe, God, that you know, sin, sickness, disease has no place in this house. We're going to stand with you to pray for you as well. Let's all stand and pray as we conclude. Lord, thank you for friends. Thank you that we can go so much farther together than we ever could by ourselves. I pray that as we engage in small groups over the days and months and years to come, that, God, we would so feel safe in that and outside of that space to open up our hearts. I pray that fathers and mothers would be raised up to love on sons and daughters that would become friends. I pray that, God, we'd go into the highways and into the byways and find people that need dunamis, that need no agenda, that need a meek person to show up and wash their feet. We love you, Lord. I don't know, I just, I just want to give the Lord a hand for what he's done. Can we just do that, God? You're so awesome. So awesome. God bless you guys. Have an awesome Sunday.